Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tacona Talks podcast. This episode is with Ralph Hosier, who is a engineer, a mechanic, a TV presenter, builds insane projects and also is building a huge electric bus that is intended to go onto the streets of big cities and provide the usual services you'd expect from a bus. So a guy up to some interesting things, which meant for a pretty interesting chat, really. Another thing to mention is that this episode is the first sponsored episode. The guys at Scalectrics have sponsored it, basically. So we're doing a bit of a, a partnership together where we create a bit of a, a discount code on their website. So if you use Tacona 10 on the Scalectric site, you'll get 10% off. And they're sending me a little bit of money to help keep doing what I do and support the idea that Tacona stands for, really. So a really big moment. This is the first ever sponsored episode, which means that I must be going in the right direction with something. So thank you to everybody that listens to this and everybody that's listened to the episodes previously that have meant that this conversation could happen. So yeah, Scalectric sponsoring Tacona Talks. Clicked record now, uh-huh. so we'll just crack on. Excellent, nice and easy. Yes, yes, nothing too professional, which is what we've just been talking about. Professional winging. Yes, um, the only thing we do need to do is keep this somewhat in sight because the last time it disconnected and it took me a couple of minutes to realise, and then it took me fifteen minutes to go through all the bits of audio and yeah. pull my audio out from the other mic. Oh, pain in the ass. So I'm going to try and be a little bit more observant of that um but yeah away we go i suppose um there's only one real piece of structure and that is who are you and what do you do i've got no idea of either of those answers pretty much all oh, right okay yeah. give me a short episode yes who am i uh, my name is ralph hosier i'm a chartered engineer um, i started in the car world probably in the late 80s really right um, and these days I build special vehicles, custom cars, prototypes, concept cars, um, EVs, and uh, we even do buses as mm. well as training. We'll train anyone for any skills you want to If you want to learn to weld, if you want to learn how to do EVs, and if you want to learn basic car maintenance. Yeah. It's all good stuff. It's all handy skills to have. It is, it yeah. is, it is. I was going to ask if we could record in the bus. And then we've been out there, and it's bloody cold. It is very so cold. So I'm appreciating not having asked that question and forced us both to sit in the cold for an hour. Yeah, I mean, um, they're very comfortable seats. I imagine they are, actually. But they're a bit... Durable. Yeah, they're a bit moist at the moment with the cold air. Mm. And so that's not a good thing. We won't subject ourselves to that no, torture. No, um, I might get a photo, though, with us sat in the bus. Ah. Because I have a little Patreon account. Uh-huh. So it's nice to have little bonus bits for that. Right. Um, bonus bus. Bonus bus. There that, you go. That's borderline fake taxi, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this is different. We'll, we'll avoid that yeah, that's connotation, bad. I think. Yeah. Um, bonus bus Patreon content for yeah. the four people that are on there. Excellent. Well, they'll, um, they'll enjoy the they'll bus They'll appreciate pictures. it, yeah. yeah. Um, do you know there are bus spotters? Are there? Yeah. That would be hard to do, actually, because they're all the same. No, but they've got different serial numbers. 
it's the serial number because I know oh, train spotters yeah. get into that level, yeah, yeah. don't they? Same thing. So I look for all the fleet matching fleet numbers, so do, you get the whole series. How do you know where all the serial numbers are? Though? They're written on the side of the bus. But I mean, if if they're all made, say, by one company, oh, where they physically and are, and they ship yeah. them off all over the place, surely there's always one that you're never oh, going to be able to see, find because it's in fleet orders. Right. This is getting quite nerdy quite quickly. That's fine. I like a bit of nerdy. So when the bus company orders them, they'll come out with fleet order numbers on it. Right. So they're they're specific to that operator. So they'll all be coming out of that one particular depot. A bit like when you order a few cars and the number plates are all consecutive. Consecutive. I always like the the number plates on the development cars, the prototypes up at uh, Jaguar at Whitley. Mm. They went through a phase where they all started with VU. Right. And uh, in 2011, it was VU11. And it's... So there was... uh, We had CAA, CAB. I was just waiting for CAN to come out. Yeah, that was the best one. And it skipped that. Somebody DVLA'd that, didn't they? Somebody Somebody got ahead of that. went, oh, we should sell that one. I never saw that one. I I know someone's bought um, LE24HRS. For Le Mans 24 hours. Very good. Which I feel like you should have DU24MAN. Because you've got to do 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they missed a trick there, didn't they? Closer to the French. Yes. Um, But yeah, I I came across Bolland the other day. (laughs) Because I remember... I've met a few of those on the road. Yeah, well, I remember 2011, the DVLA banned BE11END. They said, we're not selling that one. No one's allowed that one right. for obvious reasons. And whilst on like the M40 or something the other day, I passed BO11 END, and it really made my day. I was like, <laughs> that's almost a unicorn number plate. There's only yeah. really two of those that could like, get close. Really I think it was on like, a Mercedes. Oh. And I was well, like, that's probably quite appropriate for... Yeah. I'm, like I'm a, making no comments. But yeah, yeah, but it, I think it was a bit of a chintzy Mercedes. Oh. So it was quite a... I like, I like that that is leaning into his joke there. Yeah, that's good. We like that. Because I guess you you could probably get B A eleven E N D, B O eleven A N D, and that's about all you could get to make Bellend as a number plate. Yeah, so, so you'd it, have to work at it. You could get a fleet though. <laughs> you could <laughs> at least get two. the whole set. B U eleven, Bellend. But there's only maybe four yeah. that you could have. So it's quite quite a rare spot mm. on my number plate adventure. Yes, you should congratulate yourself for that. Definitely. Well, I, I also brought it up at Smith and Sniff Live. So yeah. if anyone listens to the the Stellantis episode of that, one of the questions is me going, oh, "I saw this number plate the other day. Thought you'd find that interesting." And pretty much nothing else. <laughs> Just like the opportunity to, yeah. to say things because the one before at Vista, I uh, I said the c word in front of four hundred people. Uh-huh. And Did that go well? It was right at the start of the event as well, so it, it kind of set the tone <laughs> quite nicely. What start did you mean to go on? Well, it got referenced a lot, because mm. they did the... Oh, is anyone else... Basically, the question was, have you ever had a note left on your car? And I had someone that had left, don't undertake you, C-word. And what had happened is I was sat in lane one, and they were sat in lane three, and I just cruised past them at 70, mm. and they didn't like it. So they followed me into a services waited for me to leave to go and get my coffee and then wrote a note and left it on the car. That's a special kind of person, isn't mm. it? Someone's really taken offence to that. So I, I said this story, but forgot to go C-word. I actually said it and then realised that we're in Bister's hangar with 400 people. Mm. So then 
always question number one, not answer number one. So then every other person was like, well, it wasn't as bad as that guy. And just the whole evening was just me being ripped apart. Excellent. Being well, it's important to make a splash, isn't it? It's a, make, you make a name for yourself. Yeah. You know, you've made that impact. Because what had happened is before they had recorded and had their live event, we'd sat down to do my podcast together. It was quite nice to have both of them. So we'd had about an hour and a half just chatting away. So it was quite familiar, quite comfortable. So then when I put my hand up there, oh, it's Lewis. We know Lewis. He'll be responsible. No. Completely ruined that <laughs> idea straight away. Um, so, yeah, it's, it was a great night. really enjoyed it. And every time I see people that were there, they're immediately like, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> you are that guy that swore. Notoriety. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm building a name for myself yeah. in all the wrong ways. Well, that's, um, that, is there a better way? Probably in the right ways would be, no, would be more boring. appropriate. Yeah, but given what I'm trying to do with my branding... Details, detail. <laughs> anyway, back to not me, because <laughs> people have heard about me before. It's my podcast. We're 50-odd episodes in. So That's good. I feel like people probably know who I am by this mm. point. Um, back to you. Oh. I used to watch you on the telly... Oh, dear. ...while I was on night shifts. Right. At, say, 4 o'clock in the morning. I on see. On Quest or Dave or whichever one of those channels yeah, that it was on yeah, yeah. how did that come about um well i've been mucking around with the tv industry for over 20 years um mostly doing stuff behind the scenes building cars for shows and things like that yeah and um i'd done a little bit of um presenting for a channel 20 years ago called men and motors oh nice yeah very appropriate on a series called uh, top dog cars and um i thought it was quite fun so I thought I'd have another go at it. And um, so I spoke to various people. And uh, that particular show, it was Megabuild that came up. Um, and uh, myself and Ronan auditioned for it in, uh, in my front garden. And um, they liked what we did. And so we made a series. It was great. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Some wacky stuff. It was quite surreal. Mm. It was very, very surreal. And because the uh, the series was uh, paid for by National Geographic, but not just Europe, there right. was a bit of it, it was shared by three companies, Europe, um, America and Asia. Right. So we had to film bits in these different territories. Oh, so you had to go out and... Yeah, right. which made it complicated. So we spent uh, 10 days in Japan doing some stuff there. Um, we spent some time in Northern Sahara... Um, we had to go to Germany and Belgium. Um, we all then went over to New York, uh, Los Angeles and Mexico. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. That's wild. That's proper big TV stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and a lot of it just makes a sequence that's five minutes. It's just bonkers. It's <laughs> um, so a bit like, we need to be in Berlin for this one bit yeah. of this one clip. Because if you don't have that one bit, nothing makes sense. It. Right. Um, so that that was quite surreal. So... Um, it took over a year to make the series. It was supposed to be six months, and it was supposed to only be like th- two two days a week for six months, and the whole thing just got totally out of hand, and and it, it just turned into a monster of a thing. Um, and uh, and I was still trying to run the workshop and all the rest of it, and I was doing a lot of stuff. I was setting up the training school at Mission Motorsport as well, yeah, uh, which is a really important thing, you know. And I really wanted to make that work, so. When this started sprawling out of control, it got re- very, very de- awkward. Um, 
and uh, but we ended up doing things like taking an old um, Isuzu trooper into the middle of the Mexican desert and shooting it for a day, <laughs> trying different size bullets and seeing what damage it made um, <laughs> for an episode about armouring a G-Wagon. And then we pretended to armour the G-Wagon by putting some sticky butt plastic on a window and putting a Kevlar sheet in the door card. <laughs> it was absolute nonsense, but it was a lot of fun. And we got to do some amazing things. I went um, to a drift track in uh, in Japan, in the, the mountains of Fukushima. Oh, you've got to be careful how you say that. Yeah, I think you've got away with that one, OK. But there's a place called Drift World. Right. And it's got seven racetracks on the side of a mountain. Jeez. It's epic. That's really cool. Yeah. And uh, spent the day um, at a drift school and doing all sorts of other nonsense stuff like that. So it was amazing. And that, again, that whole day we spent there made about five minutes of telly. Just you going, ah! And then that's it, clock on to the next bit. Yeah, well, myself and Ronan, we've done a fair bit of performance driving before. So uh, Ronan had a go at it first and they were showing you how this is how you do, you know, drifting around a single point and all the rest of it. And he did that quite well. Yeah. So he was only on the on the track for about ten minutes. I went, right, he's done his bit. And I thought, I want to spend more time. Yeah. So I, I spent more than 10 ages getting it wrong, so that you could get more time. And out I got yeah. an hour and a half on the track. <laughs> Sorry. And I actually made the instructor, the professional drift instructor. He said, "Could we stop for a moment?" Went, yeah. What's the problem? He got out and vomited. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite an accolade, really. I know. Because he's, I'm, he's I'm done a lot of sideways of time, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I'm the only person who's ever made him feel sick, so <laughs> I was very pleased with that. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> and it's, it's quite a clever tactic to go, I'll oh, just do it a bit wrong. I just want to so do some, get some more goes. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a, like an inherent part of you that's like, I want to I want to show that I'm good at this. I don't want to upset them. Oh, and then there's a bit that's like, yeah. yeah, but if I do that, I only get 10 minutes. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and they're going, oh, you, you're a lot worse than we thought you'd be. I went, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm an engineer, know. I'm not yeah, a driver. I'd say, yeah, yeah. Shame that, isn't it? Well, I'm much better now, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Just doing perfect figure eights by the end of the oh, day. I was, I was doing loads of that later on. But, um, yeah, it was, it was brilliant fun. That's brilliant. I think the one that sticks out most for me was, it was on a ski, indoor ski slope. <laughs> um, I think it was an A8. Yeah, an Audi A8 we put Caterpillar tracks That on. was it, yeah. Yeah. For some rich banker in London or something yeah. that wanted a car to go skiing in or something. Yeah, Some yeah, ridiculous that premise. premise that gave you an excuse to put Caterpillar tracks on an A8. Yeah, which was all completely made up, obviously. Yeah, it was uh, fantastic. All the cars in that series, bar one, um, ended up going back to standard. Did they? So they could be sold, yeah. So there's an A8 somewhere that at one point had tracks yes. on and the owner probably has no idea. Tracks and a, a snowplow on the front. That was it, yeah. Yes. It was a, a proper bit of kit. Mm. And it all went back to standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you have to build them with that in mind? That they had to be returnable? Um, to an extent. Yeah. There was a bill involved with putting them back to standard. But yeah, it was it was a bit of a constraint. So the first two we made was the we made an evoke and they said could you turn this into a proper rally car? Right. Well, yes we can. So we set about doing a proper job on it. Uh and they wanted wider track on it. So we made new wishbones and all this and they went, "Well, this is taking a long time and it's very expensive, isn't it?" I went, "Well, you yeah, doing for a rally car." <laughs> it's like, you know, you'd spend 5000 pounds on one damper on a real rally car. Yeah. Went, oh, oh no, we didn't want to spend that much time. <laughs> And everything got more and more compromised. Jeez. And then by the time we did the A8, we went, right, we can buy these tracks. Yeah. 
will cut the arches off, bolt them on. I have to make one part to make them work, which is a little strut rod. And then we'll take them on. All we've got to do is cut the bumper up. And then once we finish, we'll unbond them and sell them on. Yeah. <laughs> if you did it quick enough, you just return them. Yeah, well, uh, they knew what we were doing, so... Like some people do with Halfords windscreen wipers, yeah. just put them back in the box and take them back. Yeah, yeah. I saw a tweet today, someone had gone, I've just got home, opened my box of windscreen wipers, and it's somebody's old windscreen wipers are in there. Brilliant. They didn't even check. Didn't even it. check, just Super. sold them straight on to someone else. Super. Um, Trade like is quite frustrating. It's also quite hard to then prove to Halfords that that's what's happened. Yeah. Because you go back and go, this has got old windscreen wipers in, they go, oh, yeah. Don't yeah, of course it has. Yeah. <laughs> So oh, uh, that's bad, yeah. But no, no, all all the vehicles went back to standard. So yeah, I think we enjoyed driving that up the ski slope. Uh, Ronan got to drive uh, a rally car on an ice track in France somewhere. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, so originally we were both going out doing these stupid things, then they realised it was cheaper if they only sent one of us. Was this after the drift thing? Oh, much longer after that. So they went. He was crap last time. <laughs> we'll send the other one because he picked up way quicker yeah there could be a bit of that and you've shot yeah. yourself in the foot down the line by Ron being... also got the flyer Spitfire oh um, that's a real dream that I can't remember what the premise for that was <laughs> what was the premise was it, for that? did he find the link to that one because uh, we were chatting no, earlier about it and he likes his flying he does he does but was he like we've got to find a way to link something to a Spitfire just so I can go and have a go I can't even remember what episode that was in how many episodes did you make? We made 10. Right. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time trying to do the engineering for them properly. So they'd asked for a stupid idea. We'd explain how it was done. And then they go, well, we can't spend that much money. Right. And then it all got compromised from there. So we did a, um, a Bentley that was supposed to be an off-road adventure truck. Right. And we said, well, you know, we want a Bentley GT because it's four-wheel drive. Yeah. And went, okay, brilliant. Right. We've got a Bentley. Right. What is it? It's continental. Well, that's rear-wheel drive. That's not what we asked for. Yeah, but it was a lot cheaper. It's like, we're trying to make an off-roader. Oh, God. Fine. So we welded a roof tent to it. Right, as you do, yeah. And um, jacked the suspension up. It was all right off-road, but you wouldn't want to go too far with it. How annoyed were you when Clarkson did his? Well, in... Uh, series two of Mega Build, which was Shane, um, they actually built what we'd originally planned. So they took right. the original things and took a Bentley GT and turned it to an off-roader. And that is exactly what Clarkson then did after that. Oh, so he didn't quite get your one then, which is at least you weren't directly... Confused. I don't know. The one that was in Mega Build 2, I didn't see, but it does look very similar to the one Clarkson have. So I don't know whether they it could production be the company one. sold it. Yeah. That would be quite a smart move by Amazon to... Yeah. To just pinch that one. Yeah. Well, they also had a car on Caterpillar Tracks. They did a Focus. We did the Audi. They did, yeah. I think Ken Block did a Focus on Caterpillar Tracks as well at one point. And we did in we did another series, uh, Scrapyard Supercar, where we had a, a sort of a rear-wheel drive buggy, like a Caterham. Mm. But we put massive um, off-road wheels on the back of it and hammered it around a rally track. And they've done Clarkson that as well, yeah. did that as well. So I'm very pleased... That the Grand Tour have copied all of our ideas. <laughs> Just with bigger budgets. With much bigger budgets. Yes. Because you, you made a car that ended up in Forza as well, didn't you? <laughs> Inadvertently. <laughs> yeah, we did a, a project for Mercedes UK. Uh, it was Tom Wookie Ford, who was a, a genius of a man. 
and loves his adventure trucks and he wanted to turn an E-Class Mercedes into an adventure truck to go and photograph bears in uh, Eastern Europe. That's a fun trip. That's yeah, fun. yeah. So it was, uh, it was, you know, jacked up and off-road tyres and he found this amazing roof rack that we embellished with a f- uh, Formula One-style front wing on the front of it <laughs> and lights all around it and pickaxe holders and all sorts of nonsense. And it had a... Uh, mains power supply inside it and split charge battery and stuff so you could you could camp quite heavily happily in this mercedes yeah he called it the eat right um and um that was in the top gear garage when uh forza came in to scan top gear cars and so that is in actually forza horizon <laughs> and I, I got home the other day and my son was playing forza horizon on the computer driving the car that I built in this workshop, <laughs> which was a very surreal moment. Yeah, like we we have chatted about this already, but obviously not with the microphones on. So it's quite a fun story to revisit because you'd built a, the Mitsubishi racing simulator truck that had two Simmons yeah. in the back. Yeah. So there is a multi-level thing to this where you could be in a car that you've built. Yeah. So built that was that on was, a sim. Yeah. Driving that, a car that you've built. Yeah, that was for Mitsubishi UK. Um, and it was it was uh, an amazing concept. They got all their dealers to come up with concept ideas. Right. They'd sketch out with crayons, <laughs> and they, that went to a, an online competition on social media. And the one with the most likes, they'd build. That's how it went, right? So um, the idea was to build a, a mobile gaming suite, a full uh, sim unit that you could drive anywhere. Um, so we got a. Uh, a Mitsubishi pickup and I cut back off the cab and the whole rear of it off and we built a whole bodywork for it extended the chassis by two foot <laughs> that's not an easy job though it was a big old job <laughs> and we widened it as well uh, so that we could get two uh, gaming suites in there so the chair the steering wheel the gear stick the pedals TVs and yeah. everything two of them side by side with enough space in between to walk past <laughs> a fridge coffee maker all this sort of stuff Solar on the roof and enough batteries underneath so we could run the whole lot in the middle of the field for a whole day. Yeah. So you had a mobile gaming rig and you open the tailgate and another two tellies fold out so people outside can see what you're doing <laughs> on the gaming rigs inside. While you're brilliant. in a field, yeah. And, and it, was, it went to various events and did a load of PR activity and, and kids loved playing with it. And whilst the kids were inside playing all these gaming things, the parents were outside watching them. And then the uh, Mitsubishi sales team went up and said, uh, have you seen our latest range? And, of course, the parents had nowhere to go because they were waiting for their kids to they stop gaming. They were trapped. They were trapped there. So it was a PR marketing genius move. <laughs> what uh, happened to that truck? I don't know. It got sold off because Mitsubishi UK... They sold all their um, press fleet, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they, they actually collapsed in 2020 um, when all that uh, unpleasantness unfolded. Mm. They, they had a torrid time and they were a brilliant, brilliant team. So it was very sad to see that uh, get disbanded. The remnants of it had been bought by another company and that they, they're uh, taking that forward now. But the whole heritage fleet... Yeah, I remember that. Um, ...went, and that was <clears> such a shame. There were some amazing vehicles in there. Yeah, and they all got split up. It's like yeah. when kids got shipped off in the war, wasn't it? They all got sent to different yeah. parts of the country. Yeah, so there was. I had, I had a driver for an old Starion Turbo <sighs> and all this sort of stuff. Was it the Starion Turbo that was in the Cannonball Run that Jackie Chan drove? I think it was. Because that was quite a cool bit of kit. Yeah. And that was 
at the time, everyone was like, what is that? And it was completely blacked out. Yeah. Just full of tech that was probably doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. I mean, it was a rubbish car, but it looked amazing. It looked fantastic. And it had the word turbo written on it. And that was all that matters. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's Hyundai did like an i10 turbo. Oh, yeah. Back in like the 90s. So when things were still square. Hmm. And every so often I, I see one of those knocking around and I'm like... I'd just drive that every. I'd drive that every day because I imagine it's so much fun just to look back and see turbo written down the sill. Yeah. And even though it's probably a 600 cc K car kind of That's thing, not the point. I imagine it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I grew up with like Gran Turismo three was the one when I was old enough to understand what was going on, and there was the Suzuki Alto Works. Oh yeah. Was the like the beginner car. And the fastest way to earn enough money to buy something interesting was to do the first race over and over and over again because it was just an oval. Right. And as you got faster cars, you could do it much quicker and you'd earn, say, a 1,000 credits or whatever. And when you're 12, you don't really know how a game works. You just go, I want a TBR. How do I get a TBR? I'll do this for 24 hours until I get a TBR. <laughs> but the car that you were always racing against was a Suzuki Auto Works, and the game wouldn't move on until that car had finished. Uh-huh. So you'd finish it in like four minutes, and then you'd just sit for fifteen minutes waiting for this six hundred cc Alto Works to just do these laps. And me and my brothers grew out an absolute hatred for the Suzuki Alto Works because of this game. And a friend of mine's got one, and it's brilliant. And I'm really annoyed at younger me for being so upset with these cars. Oh wow! Just because it, it was so frustrating to have to wait for this little <laughs> this little thing to do laps around an oval. Oh man! Um, yeah, it's it's fun how kind of as you mature you appreciate things in such a different way yeah it is i love quirky crap now yeah i, I used is, to be supercars and now it's well that's the thing because you can get some amazingly high performance cars mm. and uh i borrowed a mclaren a few years ago as you do yeah just casual, and it's like it's amazingly capable machine but where are you going to use it yeah i mean yeah track day is brilliant and stuff like that but just driving around it was it was just a liability yeah so, um, oh, it's lovely to look at and all the rest of it, but um, yeah, so something that has fairly problematic handling, enough power to overcome the chassis, mm. um, and has a medium chance of getting you to your destination. So, there's that bit of jeopardy and excitement of will I actually get to where I'm going? Yeah, it's loads more extent, ex- exciting. I've got a Volvo 850. Oh, nice. Uh, sat out there in the car park. And uh, it broke down at Bo- Brooklands last month. Uh, the fuel pump expired. And that level of excitement of, will I get home or not? <laughs> yeah. It's just brilliant. You don't yeah. get that with a modern car. No, there's, there's something <laughs> that is to be said about something that isn't necessarily guaranteed to get you where you're going. Because it is an adventure, then. It's an adventure. And if it's something that doesn't necessarily like the motorway... Mm. And it forces you to take a different route. Yes. Just adds to that yes. adventure. Like, yes. we broke down in Aylesbury in our Renault 5. Very nice. Never been to Aylesbury before. Yeah. And we broke... We knew that the car was not 100% happy. Okay. And we're like, we've just got to get home. Uh-huh. That's all we need. We've right. been to an event all day. Yeah. I think we've been to the Cop Hill climb. Oh, very nice. And I just need to get home. Just need to get home. And I've got another car. If it, if it just makes it home, yeah. I can take my modern car. Yeah. And we got to Aylesbury, which is not far away from the Cophill climb. Uh-huh. And in Aylesbury, there's a series of roundabouts, and they're on like a downhill. Yeah. And I was like, if it sputters, I can at least just bump it, and we'll just keep going. 
until we... So you're already planning. I'm already expecting it to Lovely. bubble. Like, what had happened is the the plastic plate that goes between the bottom of the carb and the top of the headers that yeah. stops the alley carb and the steel header from kind of like merging with each other, it had cracked. Uh-huh. And we'd... I say we, my friend Luke and his mechanic, had put it back together when they did a carb rebuild and gone, well, we've put enough pressure on it that that crack's not going to open, so it won't have a vacuum leak. And what happened is the crack opened, so we got a vacuum leak. So it would just kind of splutter, and if you gave it enough welly, it yeah. would keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what eventually happened is the whole thing snapped in half, so there was no hope oh, for it, and that's what happened in Aylesbury. Right. So we're going down this hill, and it started splitting. I was like, we're all right, I'll just dump the clutch, give it a welly, and then we'll just keep going, and it just didn't. So we coasted round three roundabouts. <laughs> and it was like, it wasn't just like a straight line. It was like, I need to go right and then right and then left. So I was like, we're really pushing our luck if there's a car coming the other way. Yeah. And we made it all the way to a bus stop that happened to not be a bus stop at night. It was a parking space at night. So we rolled into this bus stop. And I thought it had been the fuel of just, it was, you know that week when there was no fuel? Oh, yes. And everybody was going crazy. Yeah. It was then... So I was like, we've just we've got to a quarter of a tank. It's probably just empty. I walk to the petrol station, get a jerry can, and pray someone lets me fill it up because I don't want to get in a fight over this petrol. And uh, it wasn't the fuel; it was this carburetor. So the AA came out. They couldn't diagnose it. Really? Yeah, bad, couldn't figure it, it out. Uh, took the top of the carb off and was like, no idea. Just sprayed a load of Easy Start in, and while it just kept sputtering, I was like. Oh. I don't think you're supposed to do that. I think that's not a, that's a not solution a to this problem. Yeah, yeah. So then they called a flatbed. But in between these two AA guys arriving, we had AA guy number one came within like 50 minutes. He must have been around the corner or something. Right. And opposite the bus stop was a takeaway. Ah. And all the young Asian guys that worked in the takeaway were running around in like Igos. And one of them was a mechanic, but he didn't speak any English. Uh-huh. So they all crowded round, because obviously I pulled up and the bonnet's up. Yeah, it's a yeah. quirky old car that you don't see many of. Definitely. They all come crowding round. One of them goes, he's a mechanic, but he speaks some English, so I'll translate. And his translation wasn't great. So that was a, a fun dynamic for us. And then they gave me a lift to the petrol station. They were very kind of them. They just gave me a lift down. Oh. But while we were waiting for the AA, they wrote us a pizza and some water. <laughs> see, this is the it car community. Really nice. This is it, yeah. I've just finished writing a piece for um, Redline magazine about how cars are the universal like connector. Yeah. They just bring people together they from do. everywhere, yeah. no matter what. Um, and that's what was happening. Like these, young, these guys were just like, you okay? It was really bloody cold. And I had my other half with me. If I was on my own, I'd have been a lot less stressed. But because I had her with me and my like, sense of duty to make sure she's safe mm. kicked in. So it got to like 10 o'clock. We'd been there for two hours. Yeah. I called the AA and I said, where's this flatbed? Oh, he's on his break. When's he back? Oh, I'll have someone with you by six o'clock tomorrow morning. And I was like, no, absolutely not. I'm in a park. I'm next to a park in Aylesbury in a 1980s Renault. That is the least secure car. I'm, I'm basically in a greenhouse. That's not acceptable. And he was there within 10 minutes. I've never slept so well in the back of a van before. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got home about half one in the morning. And the back of those seats, it's just a bench. It's like yeah. a right-angle bench. And I just slept against the window in the most awkward... Like my neck the next day was agony. But I slept really well. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm safe, I'm getting home. There is, there is that sleep you get at the end of an adventure. Yeah. Which is 
It's a, a sleep of contentment. You've earned that sleep. You really, really yeah. have earned that sleep, and it's just the most wonderful thing. Yeah. And Even you, if you wake up in crippling pain. Oh, it was agony. The neck, <laughs> the right-hand side of my neck the whole next day, because I've been leaning like that with my yeah. head against this left window. Oh, oh, I, I couldn't turn or anything. It was awful. But that's the thing about these old cars, is you have these adventures, and it just it instills a completely different frame of mind. You know, you're thinking ahead, you're planning it. You're much more involved in the moment. Exactly. And uh, and I think that's missing with a lot of stuff. Uh, cars are in danger of becoming, well, taxis, basically. Yeah. Um, um, just another white good that's of no importance to anyone. One of the main selling points of modern car design is the amount of connectivity it's got. Yeah. And you think, well, we've lost our way there somewhat. And um, I, I'm very heartened by how many people in the younger generation are actually interested in old cars. Up at the NEC Classic the um, classic show the other day, uh, just the amount of young people who are interested in these things was really, really heartening. I think because they have soul. Yeah. And I think my generation less so, but the current generation, are really aware of how disconnected the world is. Yeah. And anything that brings you a bit more together or connected to the environment or part of the process... Yeah. It's quite attractive. Yeah. Because, like, there's not much else to inspire you. Like, I drove the Tesla Plaid the other day. That's quite nippy. It's it's very quick. That wears off really fast. Yes. It What it's like is if you ever play Grand, Grand Theft Auto with the cheats on, for about five minutes, it's great fun. Like, the police aren't coming. There's no, like, punishment. I can do anything. I've got all the yeah. weapons, all the cars. After five minutes, it's boring. It's boring. You, you've got no challenge to it and with that tesla it is ludicrously fast just absolutely ridiculous but after five minutes of well this is quick it's really boring it's just a big box with an ipad in the middle and i I found that really difficult because i was like i should love how quick this car is yeah but i hate how boring everything else is and I, i can't really foresee myself buying one anytime soon i've got 140 grand just knocking around well they're definitely going to come down in price but yeah there's something missing isn't there when the car's doing everything for you yeah what's left for you Um, you just sit there and experience the car might as well just catch a bus Um, an electric bus well being built by you well yeah i've worked out actually because our electric buses are quite big yeah so fully loaded they're about 20 tons and empty a double deck is about 12 tons so you've got pretty massive motors. The motors I'm fitting at the moment, 3,000 newton metres of torque mm. at 2,500 RPM, 450 horsepower. So we worked out that actually we could do quite a lot of drifting in a double-decker bus. I would, I would pay to watch that. Brilliant. Okay, so that's the first customer sort of Yeah. Out. Well, I could be your photographer for it. Ah. So I've also got a use. Yeah, I like that. So I'm thinking maybe, we, we were thinking about maybe next year doing the uh, British Motor Show. And doing a Drifto Busso Yeah, section. if I can make that work I and not kill could. anyone. Then I reckon you could get Mike Brewer in that Drifto Bus as well. He'd love it. I think he'd really appreciate that. Yeah. Get him at the back, back, back row. Yeah. Upstairs. The amount of swing <laughs> on a bus. Upstairs? Yeah, upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing double-decker Drifto Bus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, get him up, and then just put a GoPro facing him. Yeah, and just see what happens. And they've already got CCTV in them anyway. They have a lot of that. So you've got multiple angles. Oh yeah, we've got it covered. <laughs> this is plan is coming together. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That would be absolutely hilarious. We can make buses interesting. 
possibly terrifying, but yeah, I don't think people in Cambridge are going to appreciate it on their commute. Minor detail. You're always picking up these minor details. It's just we've just got a stick 15 with the minute picture. city, and it's terrifying. <laughs> What's terrifying about making everything convenient? Well, it's not the convenience thing that's terrifying. I think it's the sideways-ness. If you manage to make that drift guy nauseous to the point of being sick... Oh, yeah, that was good. Janice from Accounts is probably not going to have the same level of tolerance as uh, as a, a professional drifter uh, if that's how she arrives at the office. <laughs> shaken and stirred. Mm. Yeah, uh, it'll be fine. Just have a sticker on the side that says, please do not board this bus if you've just had your breakfast. We'll just put a big sign on the sign saying danger. Leave it at that. Danger sideways. Just danger. Mm. There's just danger. Everywhere. Everywhere. I think that's most of life now. Danger bus. Oh, that's good. You could do it a danger mouse livery. <gasps> I love danger mouse. Yeah. It's brilliant. I know someone who... I think he's still got it. What? It's an MX-5. Oh, yeah. That has been done... To what, look like the Danger, Danger Mouse car. car. Yeah. Oh. Like it's got the big wedge. It's yeah. all, all the bodywork's been done. To, I think he's selling it at the minute. I'll have to find it. And oh, it that's dangerous. It's quite cool. I mean, it looks a little bit ropey. And I don't think it's had much love for a couple of years. Well, most MX-5s are like that. Yeah, it's a standard MX-5, just with square body. So basically the back of the seals will have rusted out completely. Mm. Probably the footwells. Yeah, probably. Yeah, the exhaust will be falling off. Yeah. And the boot's full of water. Yeah. I think it's a Mark II MX-5, so it's not got the pop-up lights to worry about. Oh, OK. Uh, so there's that, then. You, you've got you've saved on that. Depends how much of the bodywork they've played with, because they might have already replaced all the sills to make it square. Ah. And then you could have the Danger Mouse MX-5 drifting at the same time as the Danger Bus. Oh, and then you've got... This is plans just get better all the time. The problem is, this is what happens when you sit down and just talk shit at half seven on a Monday night. Well, a lot of the projects that I've built over the years start out as a really bad conversation in a pub. Yeah. And then we end up building them. <laughs> I think that's how most fun things happen, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think most of my fun adventures have just been... Oh, let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's go. Well, I was having a conversation with Ron. Ron and I first worked with uh, Ford in 1990. Right. So we go back quite a long way. And we were having a conversation and he was saying, I've just seen this picture of a large military vehicle. It's amphibious with six wheels and it's pointy at the front. It looks amazing. I went, that's an Alvis stalwart. He said, how do you know? I said, well, I had a toy one when I was little. I've always wanted one. He went, have you? I found this company that are selling some. <laughs> I went, oh, this guy, so we went up to this place, um, AF Budge, and he had 200 of them in a field. Jeez. He bought all the ex-army. They, they ended up replacing them with helicopters because um, they were cheaper to run. Right. But, uh, and it was this amazing thing. It looked like something out of Thunderbirds. It yeah. was a drop-side truck, but it was fully amphibious. So it would do five knots in the water, six massive wheels on it, uh, four-wheel steering on it. And uh, no, that you can't have had four wheel steering. The Cybertruck has invented four wheel steering. Don't, don't start that. Just don't. <laughs> just. And uh, yeah, and it had a, a six and a half liter straight eight Rolls Royce engine. Jeez, in it. petrol, carbureted, nineteen <laughs> sixties um, thing. Uh, so we bought one and started doing. There was a competition called heavy vehicle trialing. Right. which is where you drive over obstacles and up cliff faces and things like that, and you get points for how far through the course you get as it gets more difficult. I've just downloaded a game on my Xbox, which is basically that. Oh. My friend has called me boring for finding it interesting. 
well, and you have to put it in like low range gearbox and all. Yeah. You have to really get into it to but get through the course. There's quite a lot. There's a very careful use of momentum because mm. it gets out of shape really, really quickly. So it was it was ten tons empty, <laughs> and if you get a bit of a bounce on off the off road there, it can really throw you about quite a long way. And you're surrounded by metal, so yeah, it's not a comfortable bounce either. No, it's very uncomfortable. Mm. And we did an event at Tix over once. It's one of the parts of the quarry. It's really, it's slippery clay, <laughs> and it's big trenches all over the place. And it was, it was raining. It was like December, and the whole place looked like a scaled-up version of the surface of the brain. It was just <laughs> ruts everywhere. <laughs> and they'd done this course that was almost impossible to do, and it was so slippery you couldn't stand on it. Yeah. So the only way I could do it was using a lot of momentum. And when we did these uh, heavy vehicle trials, people would just turn up to watch. Mm. And sometimes I'd say, could we get in and have a go? So this bloke comes in and says, you know, can I have a passenger ride? (laughs) Yeah, right. So he gets in the passenger seat. And in a stalwart, it's the central driving position. So it's a bit like a McLaren McLaren F1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not. And um, the passenger seat was on my left. So I said, well, you better put your seatbelt on. And he said, well, it's off-road. You don't need that, do you? I said, you'll need your seatbelt. Yeah. Just to and keep I, you in the seat more. And I, I give it all the beans pulling away, and we hit the first bump, and it's, the hull smashes into this bank, and it propels us up in the air. <laughs> and he, as it comes back down again, the roof, the steel roof of the, of the cab smacks him in the head. And then we go sideways, it slips sideways, and then he smacks his head against the side of the, of the, of the, the window area, which is all steel around that. Because you're safely away from it all in the middle. I'm in the middle, and then we smack to the right side, and he hits me on the shoulder and says, sorry. <laughs> so all the way through, it was alternating between, ow, sorry, ow, sorry, all the way through. And we finished this thing, I got at, at the end of it, and, it, it, you know, it... He had blood coming down the side oh, of his God. head. And I thought, oh, God, I'm going to get a complaint there. And he gets out and he goes, thank you. He shakes my hand. He goes, thank you, that was amazing. <laughs> Clearly that was concussed, brilliant. yeah. Like, obviously concussed, so I got away with that one. But, yeah, it was brilliant. So all the, all the stupid ideas we, we've come up with in a, in a pub and then ended up doing. That's fantastic. How do they rescue the vehicles that don't make it to the end? Uh, we, um, luckily, there were some people in the club who had tanks. Oh, and they could just, no trouble all the way. It did get a bit complicated. One of the blokes had, well, it wasn't a tank, it was an Abbott self-propelled howitzer. And he actually lost a track in the middle of that particular trial, <laughs> which was really bad. It was slid sideways and knocked the track off. And we had to recover that, and that was awful. I towed the track back. <laughs> um, and there was two Russian 6x6 army trucks um, and another stalwart pulling the uh, the not tank yeah. out uh, and another stalwart bringing up the rear with all the equipment and tools we'd use to get the track off the thing and all the rest of it so God. It, it does get it does get really really complicated rescuing yeah. 20 30 tonnes of vehicle out of a boggy quarry that's what I mean like because these are the vehicles that are designed to normally like be the rescuer mm and you're doing courses that are yes. designed to stop them. Yes. So big, heavy things are important. And lots of chains. Yeah. <laughs> Which are also big, heavy things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my friend who has my Renault, his family have a recovery company. Oh, yes. Um, and they have a big 6x6 lorry, yeah. 
with a crane arm. Ah. And they use that to pick up lorries that have gone off the road. Right. It's quite interesting. Like every so often I'll get a photo or I'll see a photo of it's three o'clock in the morning and they've got three trucks <laughs> in various positions just pulling yeah, a lorry yeah, out yeah, of a yeah. ditch and stuff. And it, it's one of those where it's like, that's really impressive. I wouldn't want to be doing the job, but it looks like a lot of fun post-incident where you go, oh, you've lifted a lorry up with your truck and towed it out of a field. Yeah. I imagine in the middle of it, it's a pain in the arse. Well, it's a technical challenge, isn't it? I yeah. Mean, and that's part of the adventure. Yeah. And again, at the end of it, you sleep soundly. I imagine they have the best night's sleep. You see, the thing is, what we're all trying to achieve in life is to have enough stories that when you're sitting around with your mates in the pub mm. or in a coffee house or wherever, you can keep each other entertained with stories of stupid things you've done. Yeah. And, and that's what life's all about, really. I would agree with you. I think it is all about the journey and the exciting mm. things that you collect along the way. Mm. And my dad has a, a saying of um, memories are like roses in December. That's his like thing that he loves. That's philosophical. It's very philosophical. He's a man that used to sit and think a lot. And um, that's always been a... As, as much as I don't get on with my dad most of the time, it's a, it's a quite a nice mindset to go, well, yeah. at least we're making memories. Yeah, yeah. Because when we get to the end and we're not actually able to get up and do stuff, look back quite fondly on that sort of thing absolutely right and it That's probably keeps you going mm, very much so and i find that a lot with a lot of the stupid stuff that i do and yeah. it's one of the things that i get asked about most is how the hell have you ended up there <laughs> like i had it recently we went to naples i've never been to italy before and the family went and i was like oh this would be nice and they decided to have like a pool day which is just sitting around in the sun which right. i don't really do i get bored way too quickly that is boring yeah, I'm on the waiting list for an ADHD diagnosis, so kind of really feeds into how quickly I get bored. So I was like, well, we're in a little town in the middle of the Italian countryside, mm. about an hour out of Naples. I was going for a wander. i get yeah. my camera, see what I find. And I wandered up to the square, and there was a lovely little Series 2 Alpha Spider oh, yeah. parked up next to the square in front of this news agent. So I was like, oh, that's cool. And I was, one of my T-shirts has an Alpha Giulietta on the back. Like an original one, not the new one. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go and have a wonder and take some photos. Yeah. And I was still taking some photos, and the owner of the newsagents, who spoke almost zero English, yeah. was like, oh, what are you doing? And I was taking the photos. I was like, I really like my cars. My T-shirt actually has an Alfa Romeo on it. Yeah. So we're trying to chat back and forth. Yeah. And he was like, wait here. And he wandered off, and he came back with the owner of the car. And between the three of us, we just shared the passion mm. and he was like we'll take the roof down have a sit inside I'll take a photo of you in the car blah 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 and then he went he's going to take you for a ride huh. I was like what? he was like you go he'll take you for a ride around the square I was like yeah. absolutely which is quite a, a privileged male thing like my other half couldn't have entered this situation and gone yes I'll jump in a stranger's car this will be great fun mm. which he's reminded me of several times when I've told yeah, people yeah, this yeah, yeah. Um, That's a very good point. So we're, I'm in the passenger seat of this Alpha, getting the full Italian experience. Like he's beeping <laughs> at everyone, we're diving into gaps that don't exist. And I'd managed to get Google Translate to work on my phone, so I could ask him where the best place to get coffee is. I just really wanted a proper Italian coffee. Yeah. And he went, I'll take you there. Right. I'll take you for a coffee. So me and this old Italian guy drove to this bar that was way too busy for the time of day. It was like a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. And it was full of young Italian people in like Armani suits. 
And I immediately was like, oh, this is the mafia. This is where they all hang out. Because why are all these under-30s in Armani suits here yeah. in this tiny little village in the middle of nowhere? And we walked in and everybody knew the guy. Like, he opened the door and everyone's like, hey, it's whatever his name was. I was like, oh, great. I've just been hanging around with the boss all afternoon, have I? So we have an espresso and we, we head back. And fortunately, he went, I'll just drop you off at the square. I was like, good, because I don't particularly want you knowing where I'm staying, just in case. And I, uh, I was telling this story to my best mate, and he went, you're the only person I know that could do that. I was like, <laughs> I don't know anyone else that could go to a country where they don't speak the language and end up going for a coffee with someone and going for a drive in their Italian sports car. I was like, well, that's cars. That's the universal yeah, yeah, language yeah. of cars. Is, it is. It doesn't matter whether you speak Italian or not. Yeah, yeah. You speak cars, and we're now friends. Yeah. And I... Um, got the number of the news agent because I'd taken a load of photos and sent them over to him and he was so happy because it's a, he's got a story as well now that weird English guy that came over and pestered me for a ride in this car yeah yeah absolutely stories of what it's all about yeah it's, it's interesting you mentioned the ADHD thing because um, we do a lot of work with people with um, all sorts of different characteristics and so you know i'm dyslexic and uh, on the autistic spectrum mm. as most people in our game are really um and i do a lot of teaching as well and you have to adapt teaching styles to suit the students everyone learns in a different way yeah and there's a lot of people that i've taught that have said that they've got learning difficulties and i've taught them and once i've worked out you know how to do it they learn really really well and i think actually we, we often talk about learning difficulties but they're not they're teaching difficulties. The yeah, difficulty's not with that individual. And with things like ADHD, what you've got is a load of abilities that other people don't have. Mm. It's just the system does not work for you. Yeah. And the people who describe themselves as normal are the people who've built the system. Yeah. So they think everyone's like them, and that's what's normal. But it doesn't suit a huge number of people. No, no, it doesn't. Like pretty much everyone I know. So we employ people, we look at people like some of the stuff with the electrical systems we're lo looking at, you need, and building engines, you need a huge eye for detail. People with OCD, mm. huge, that is a brilliant talent to have. Yeah, yeah. So we actually see a lot of these things that some people call, I hate it when people call them disabilities because they're not, they're just differences. Yeah. And they fit really well with certain areas. It's just a lot of our society just does not cater for them because the people who've created the society, the social people, mm. um, aren't like us. No, I, I absolutely agree. Like I found it really tough over the last, say, 10 years. Right. Because I've never been able to last in a job because I get bored. Mm. Like, I love a new job yeah because it's new, it's new and i have to learn yeah. it all and then as soon as i've got good at it i'm bored of it because yeah. i know everything yeah so i've done probably six different careers in the last 15 years or whatever and the thing is those companies have missed out on a chance because obviously you've got the hang of that job mm. and if they'd given you enough space to develop that job yeah you would have turned that into something amazing and Possibly. that company has missed out on that ability. And people who've got that ADHD, if they've got the right aptitude for the sort of job that you know, you're trying to do and you allow them to develop, they become an enormous benefit to the company. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, that's why I do more creative stuff now because it's, it's ever-changing. So it suits me way better because I, yeah. I can go from designing artwork to photographing something to filming something to yeah. doing this, doing that. 
and it just keeps my brain ticking over quite happily. Whereas I started off as an accountant, oh, which is really? the most repetitive, boring, quiet... Strange choice. I just, I happened to get a scholarship because I'm quite good with numbers. And that's all right. Nice background music. It's almost like we're on a segment change. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was, I, I failed accountancy at A-level, but right. I was really good at talking. So I went for this scholarship, which involved an interview. Right. And I just interviewed really well and got a scholarship. And I picked it up really quickly. Like It was at a time in my life where things weren't great, so I had other stuff on my mind. So it wasn't that I wasn't good at it. It was just I wasn't able to concentrate, which, again, ADHD is, it turns out. So I got into accountancy just off the ability to chat. Turns out I'm quite good at that. And, uh, yeah, did that for, like, two or three years. Found that really boring quite quickly. Now, I'm going to pick up on something you said there. You said uh, difficulty concentrating. Yeah. But that's not true, is it? Because no. you look at the work you're doing now, you can concentrate amazingly doing an edit or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You'll be totally concentrating. The difficulty is when you're trying to concentrate on something that's actually quite dull yeah. and doesn't suit what you're trying to achieve. When you're focused on it, you've got as much concentration span as anyone else. Yeah, it's yeah. just knowing how to apply that. Yeah, so they call it hyper-focus, don't they? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, they being the professionals, such they as my They being partner. the people who think everyone should be like them. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like, oh, my God, he can focus forever. That's amazing. How do we tap into that? It's like, yeah, yeah. make it interesting and not the same thing. Because if I try and do it twice, I won't do it the second time because I've done it already. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're absolutely right. If It's, some, it's almost like an allergy to boredom. Yeah, yeah. And it is frustrating beyond measure because doing stuff for myself like I do with Tacoma, there's stuff I need to do. But because I know what I'm doing and I'm yeah. in control of it all, I, I physically am allergic to getting started. Yeah. Because it's not new and exciting. The flip side of it is I'm in control and I can go and find the new and exciting things and that's how I end up with all these different skill sets. I think you're in a very interesting place there because no one's got a full set of skills to do everything in the world. No. And if you're doing something for a living... You've got to be, you know, an accountant, a businessman, a marketing person, all this sort of different things, as well as the the core creative bit that you're trying to achieve as well. Mm. And one of the things that I've done here is I've recognised what bits I can do reasonably well and which bits there's massive holes in in my ability. So one of the interesting um, mental things that I have is that I find it, I get a huge amount of anxiety if I've got to make a phone call. Oh, yeah, I can I can get behind that. Okay, right, yeah. okay. So there's a few of us about there. It's one of those things that other people think, well, you just pick up the phone and speak to them. It's mm. like that bit of... Once I'm talking to them, I'm fine. Yeah. But that picking up, the, you would not understand. Well, I had to know. call you because I got lost earlier. Otherwise, I'd have just bumbled <laughs> around the countryside yeah, and yeah. figured out where I was supposed to be. Yeah, it's, it's immensely difficult. So I've employed people around me to make this company fly. Mm. who fill in those gaps. And together as a team, we've got all of those skills you need to make the business work. Yeah. And if you try and make the business work and you're forcing yourself to do the things that really don't work for you, that's very, very difficult. And I know some people do it, and that's really hard work. So I've got someone here who's just really good communicator. They'll just pick up the phone and speak to anyone. They're, They're really good at that. I've got people who can concentrate on doing the same thing and, you know, and just focus in on one thing for a huge quantities of time. 
I've got all these different skills. So when you look at job roles, it's not a case of you will be doing this particular job. Yeah. It's a case of I need you to fill this gap in our overall skills so that together we can build amazing vehicles or train people to do things they've never done before or yeah. whatever it is. I think that's a great outlook to have on it as well, especially it, as an employer. Yeah, it does make writing job specs very difficult though. Because mm, you're basically going, have you got OCD? We need you. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> have you got ADHD? Great. We need someone to be able to do all these different things at bit at a time here yeah, and there. Yeah. So you're almost specking to the neurodivergencies rather than the yeah we we hire based on aptitude Mm. not qualifications yeah um qualifications are good but it's your aptitude that's important if you've got the right aptitude Mm. and you will pick things up we can train you to do whatever we need yeah um if you haven't got the right aptitude then it's just never going to happen yeah yeah i found that in my own like working life has been i can pretty much pick up anything but I have to be motivated enough to keep going at it. Yeah. And I've had that, like, I used to work in sales for UPS. I managed most of Sussex. And it was great when I started, because I was like, oh, this is great, this is new, it's exciting, I get to go and do all this, do that. And it got to the point where it just kind of got repetitive. Yeah. And I would sit down with my manager and go, the trouble is I'm not motivated. And it's not, I'm not incentivized by money. So that yeah, isn't, yeah, that's yeah. your only incentivization for me to do better at this job is money. It doesn't work. We need to come up with a different plan. And they, they just couldn't get their head around that idea. Yeah. Like, but you're in sales. You have to be motivated by money. No, I'm, a very, yeah. I'm motivated by new and shiny and no, interesting. If you see, if that manager has said, well, how would you want to develop this role and turn it into something you know, different? Yeah. Where do you think this role could go? then you're invested in it and then you'll develop in it. It'll be something that'll be great for you and benefit the company. But this rigid structure that we have, which is made by the people who are, who call themselves normal. Mm. Uh, this regis- people like pigeonholes. They like to give people labels. So when they've given someone a label, they think they understand that person, Yeah, which they clearly don't. Um, and it's that rigid structure that really holds a lot of creativity back enormously yeah yeah and i think there's a huge reliance on metrics and that really hinders a lot of it because if you can't put it in a spreadsheet then they can't quantify it they can't justify the value and then it becomes a pain in the ass for anyone that's a bit creative and does things a bit differently because while i'm not motivated by anything on a spreadsheet i get joy and fulfillment out of way more like non-tangible things but I'll be better at my job because of that. But if you try and force me to follow those numbers, I'm just all I'm going to do is find a way around the system. And that's all that's ever happened is mm. I um, when I said earlier I worked for that company that were made by the guy from Apple. It started off as like a service job where I'd go and set people's Wi-Fi up and get their phones working and make sure their TV was working and this that, and the other. Yeah. For, uh, it was a partner of BT at the time. I got loads of fulfilment out of making someone's life a little bit better yeah. or fixing a problem or making something work that wasn't working before. Like it just, I was happy to do that all day long and I'd mm. chat to people and I'd be bumbling around the countryside, taking photos of the obscure cars I'd found on driveways and this, that and the other. And I was really happy with it. And then they started introducing sales and they were like, Oh, you're in someone's house. Why don't you upgrade their phone or upgrade? Yeah. I was like, no, that's not what this is. And I'm not going to do very well at that. I already know that. Well, you have to. You have to hit 30% attachment rate. That's what it was called. It was one in three visits you had to sell something. I was like, well, now you've put a number on it. All I'm ever going to do is hit that number and nothing else. Before, if I was finding something that would fix a problem, 
I'd happily advise them on it, yeah. and you'd get the sale. Just it wouldn't be through me; it'd be indirect. But it'd fix the problem, and everyone would benefit because I was fixing a problem. I was yeah. doing something that made me feel fulfilled. Now you're forcing me to sell something. I'm going to find the easiest way to get you off my back so that you leave me alone. Mm. And that's all that happened is I found the shortest route to a, fixing a problem because they'd created a problem for me. Yeah. So I was like, right, I need to fix that problem and then I can go and do the thing that makes me happy. And that's all that ever happened. Like, I could have been the best salesman in the team Yeah. if it wasn't something that I was forced into this pigeonhole of doing, if it was just you have the capability well, to fix these problems for people. I think you would have been the best salesman because you're a great communicator and you like fixing problems. You put those two together, you sell That's sales, yeah. Yeah. So and they've missed an opportunity there. Well, the company's gone under, so they clearly missed well, a lot of opportunities. Proves the point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, like thing to be learning about because I've only really been on this like journey of understanding how all this stuff works for me for say the last probably six months I think a lot of people are starting these sort of journeys quite late in life sometimes Mm. Um, and it's easy to feel that you know if you have a a diagnosis of ADHD or autism or, or whatever to think oh there's something wrong with me yeah and that's not the case. It's just you're different to other types of people. Yeah. There are many people like you about, and there's just a different way of working that works for you. That's not that same way that works for people who describe themselves as normal. Yeah. And, um, and I think people can feel very isolated when they start that journey. Mm. The beginning of that is usually the fact that you struggle in jobs. You might even struggle with relationships. and that You don't fit in. Yeah, yeah. You don't fit in. You feel there's something wrong. And then you explore that and someone says, well, have you got this, that or the other condition? People like to call them conditions. And that starts you off on this thing. And that can be very, very isolating and make you lonely and quite depressed. But it shouldn't because that's enlightenment. And actually, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just different to other people. And you find there's a huge community of people who are also struggling in the same way because the system is not built for us. It's built for them. Um, and I think the more we can reunite. I, one of the interesting you mentioned about cars and the, the community that that brings together. A lot of people who are interested in machines and stuff like that and see the beauty of the machine mm. are kind of on this sort of spectrum as well. And it's a very easy way of breaking down the communication barriers and starting conversations with people who would otherwise find it difficult to just start talking to new people. That's exactly why I started doing what I do. And it's brilliant. It was the whole concept was. It started at UPS. I was going into a business meeting with a stranger. I was like, how do I connect with this person? I've got to find some common ground. Yeah. And as soon as it got onto cars, if they were into cars, we weren't talking business anymore. Yeah. It was just, let's chat cars. We'll sort that out later. We're now mates. And mates help each other out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It diverted around all of the, the bullshit game that you have to play in business. Yeah. And we could just go, right, we're mates now. We'll sort that stuff out. We'll find the thing that works best for everyone. Everybody's happy. Let's talk cars. I like cars. And that's where that idea kind of started was, well, if I can do something that breaks that barrier immediately, yeah. if I'm wearing, say, like a business shirt that's golf liveried, but not too in your face about it, if someone's into cars, I go, is that the golf livery? And I don't need to do all of this crap to get there. <laughs> yes. I've found my shortcut to the problem that I'm trying to solve. Yeah. So it, that is where it kind of started, and it grew into, well... People struggle to communicate. People really struggle to find these connections and this common ground. And I, I've worked in um, secure hospitals and 
had to be the person that's forcing someone to talk about the stuff they don't want to talk about. Oh. And just, there's a person in, say, like a crisis situation. Yeah. Let's get them talking. We can use that to start, like, de-escalating yeah, yeah, this yeah. situation because I can restrain you all night long. It's not going to make anything different. Absolutely You're just going right. to run out of stuff. energy. That's all yeah. that's going to happen. So it, it was kind of seeing that side of things and then seeing this connections yeah and going right well if we can use the connections to start these conversations we can use those conversations to start breaking down some of these barriers because it's built around the idea that it's okay to talk yeah Yeah. and we're using cars as this catalyst for that and that was the whole concept from like how it all came together was literally what you just said yeah people struggle to talk about stuff with strangers yeah unless they've got a common interest yeah absolutely and if we make that really clear up front it saves all of the the dancing around trying to figure out Absolutely. who connects with who. Yeah. You go, oh, car guy, I'm going to make friends with him. Yeah. Because you do it, you go out, you're in Tesco's car park, someone's got something a bit interesting, you go, yeah. I like your car, mate. And that's it, you've made a new friend. Like, you'll see that person again, and then you, yeah, yeah, yeah. it just starts sowing these seeds around. And that's, again, the beauty of the car world is, is how much that happens. Absolutely. And, and that whole thing of breaking down barriers is so important for people, as you say, in crisis. And it's amazing to see the, the work that you've done there. And one of the charities I support is Mission Motorsport. Yeah, know. I've had James on. Yeah, and he used that as well as a way of getting through to people who come through awful times. Mm. Um, you know, wounded, injured and sick people who have... When, when you get medically discharged from the, the forces, you lose your identity. Yeah. Because we all, dis- they say, you know, what do you do? You know, it's, it's a way you're introduced. We are defined by our role in society. Yeah, right? yeah. I would describe myself as an engineer. I well, am you did. an engineer. It's not just yeah. a job. It's, it's who I am. So for a soldier to not be a soldier anymore, they lose their identity. And they mm. can just, the whole world can implode and they just can't get off the, the sofa anymore because who are they? What use are they? Etc. It's an awful place to be bringing in the cars there and getting those guys say, why don't you come out for a day doing skids and, you know... Yeah, yeah. Uh, ..and mucking around with cars. Gets that conversation going. And then Mission Motorsport then opens that door to, you know, other mental health support and also the camaraderie of other people in the same situation. That yeah. brings it together. And so, on top of that, they then help them find a new job, don't they? Yeah, a lot of them go fantastic. into automotive work yeah. and they go from being an army engineer to... A motorsport engineer, yeah. like they get that sense of identity back in yeah, yeah. through the automotive world. Absolutely. I mean, there's still barriers to that, um, and we've got this still got this rigid sort of job description system that you mm. still got to get through. And one of the things that I helped them out with was setting up the, the training school, so that at least people would have the right qualifications so they could get through HR. Because you'd have people with amazing abilities. Yeah. And their applications were bouncing off the HR departments of these companies that desperately needed people like that because they didn't have a piece of paper saying they could do that work on vehicles that they'd been doing for years anyway, but in a, in a different context. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've got to get through these sort of rigid structures that don't really understand people at all. Yeah, and I think what, what you're doing and what um, James is doing with Mission Motorsport is effectively doing that, let's find the shortcuts to get access for these people it is oh hr need this qualification or if we give them that qualification everything else that we know is great it just opens that door for them and they don't have to go around the houses to get there they just right you've worked on big truck engines for the last 20 years 
we just need you to pass this test to show that you've done that. And now you've got a piece of paper that says it's you've worked on engines. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And so, it's it's a, an interesting world that we live in that that's the structure, isn't it? It is. And it's it's when you actually start getting into it and you see there's organisations like Jim Cameron's stuff and, and various other places that are using, you know, in our world, cars, motorbikes, trucks, whatever, to break down these barriers, you realise how many barriers there are mm. and how many people actually need those barriers to be broken down in some way. Yeah, on both sides of the coin as well. Mm. There'll be companies that need these people. Desperately. Yeah. And We've they're... got a massive skill shortage in the UK. Yeah. And there's a number of reasons for that. And it kind of started about 30 years ago where there was a shift in the education system. And there was uh, a move to more academic qualifications. Now, academic qualifications are very important. We need a lot of those. But it kind of... Um, in a way, belittled practical skills. Yeah. Um, and now we have a massive shortage of practical skills, and it's the people actually making stuff and building them and maintaining that supports all the rest of it. We wouldn't have a service sector if they didn't have something to sell. Yeah. They're, that's been made by someone. Yeah. It's yeah. been designed by someone. It's been tested by someone. The machines that made it were designed by someone. So we've got into this awful situation. I'm, I'm, I'm training a load of bus mechanics how to work on electric buses. And the company, there's a big bus company in London, and they've got about 400, nearly 500 uh, mechanics on their books, and they're constantly recruiting people. And about two-thirds of the people I train are not from this country because they cannot get people from this country to apply to be a bus mechanic, even though it's a really good job, great people to work with, really good environment, but there's something about, oh, you're a bus mechanic, Something's gone down wrong with our society. For using your hands for some reason. Exactly. You look in Germany and you're respected for that. Yeah. You look at what a, a car mechanic does, right? Particularly in an independent garage, mm. right? You've got to be uh, a customer relations specialist. You've got to be an IT specialist with all the computer systems that plug into it. You've got to be an electrician. Mm-hmm. You've got to be a plumber. Uh, you've got to be a metal worker. Um, huge number of different skills you need just to work on cars. On a variety of cars. On a variety. Of I turn cars. up in my Toyota, it's a different job to if I turn up in my yeah. partner's Skoda. Yeah. Like it's not like the same thing every time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and these these are skills that should really get the the respect they deserve. You know, yeah. if you go and have your brakes changed, um, you know that's a safety critical thing. You mm. know that could end up being a life and death situation that that saves you from. Yeah. Um, and so these people are doing amazing jobs. And, and we need to bring that respect in there. And if we have that respect for these jobs, I think it'll encourage people to actually apply for them and train for them. Um, and that would solve two problems. It would help the the industry out. Uh, and it also means that there are excellent jobs that suit people who have got the aptitude for those jobs. Yeah, it absolutely. It be really, really rewarding. And I think people don't necessarily realise how rewarding doing something like that can be. Yeah. Like there's a problem-solving puzzle aspect to it all very much so and there's a like a manual exertion and you're you're doing something with your your hands hands. yeah and doing something with your hands and it working is incredibly rewarding and i don't think enough people realize that these days yeah because everything's done on a screen (laughs) so you don't really get to see the fruits of your labor in the same way whereas if say you've got a classic car and you need to replace a part on it and you spend an afternoon taking something apart and fixing it and putting it back together, mm. the sense of elation when that works 
Yeah. It's immense. Absolutely. But you don't get that anymore. Like, if I take apart my iPhone and put it back together, it's not going to work. It's not something that I can go, oh, I can see how that then powers that in the same way I can with a mechanical thing. Yeah. Like, I can ADHD my way around a car, but a computer is a lot more... You have to know. It's Yeah, you have to know yeah. that that component does this job and this component does this job. And they all look like little black boxes. And it's not evident unless you know what that component Absolutely, is. Absolutely, yeah. Whereas with an engine, you go, oh, I can see that thing moves up and down and that thing moves side to side. Yeah. And if I turn this thing, that happens. You can kind of unbox... You can like reverse engineer a car to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. yeah and a lot of people don't get that experience anymore. And that's sad. And, and it's not just cars, it's... It's that whole connection to the physical world around you. So, yeah. I mean, obviously we all love cars, but, you know, it could be someone who loves woodwork mm. or, um, you know... Wood- I like that too, to be fair. Well, enjoy a bit of woodwork. Yeah. Or, or all these different sort of crafts and uh, all sorts of different things. It's that connection with the physical world. Yeah. You know, if you actually make this bit move, then that thing happens. And that's a real, real thing. It's not yeah. a simulation of it. It's tangible, isn't it? It's tangible. You can... I can push this thing and that thing yeah. over there will change. And if it goes wrong, it goes really wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially with things like engines and oh, petrol yeah, and yeah. explosive things. Yeah, they're very explosive. Yeah. Um, but, like, I grew up with the entrance to video games. Yeah. But then at the same time, I had Skeletrics, Tamiya, remote control cars, all that sort of stuff. So we, we had both. Yeah. And there was something about, like, my remote control car breaking. Yeah. Or I was fortunate of it to have a quad bike and I learned how a carburetor worked thanks to a seized brake (laughs) I spent an afternoon tweaking a carburetor to perfection only to find out the brake was just stuck on so I thought it was just bogging down Right. and obviously the brake's on so it's like and then once I'd figured that out I was like oh the brake's on just took the caliper off it was a rear brake on a single disc I was like if this fixes the issue then I'll put it back together Yeah. and it went like absolute rocking <laughs> like, it really went because I'd spent a whole afternoon tweaking the thing that yeah. wasn't broken yeah. but there was that sense rewarding. of reward like yeah. oh my god I fixed it like I can go and like drive into that tree at full speed now excellent yeah it's brilliant for I, me and my brothers nearly killed each other so many times <laughs> like I have half a front tooth because my brother shot me with a BB gun right like that's we would impressive. really like come like if that was an inch higher that's my eye and I'd never be able to drive or do anything because I'd have been blind and that was growing up in the countryside with not much else to do. Mm. You kind of go and figure out how to make some fun. Yeah. And it involved getting very muddy or cutting down trees or getting stuck in the woods and stuff Superb. like that. Superb. But it was brilliant. And it was that you connected to the world around you rather than yeah, yeah. connected to an iPhone that's connected to someone in another country. Like yeah, yeah. We've lost quite a lot of that interconnectedness. Yeah, it's all important to remember that we've gained a lot as well. Yeah. Um, so the ability to talk to someone on the other side of the planet is amazing. Mm. And my son, you know, socialises with his friends without leaving the sitting room. And because we live in the countryside, it would actually be physically difficult and he would end up being a bit more lonely if it was if he just relied on us taking him around to his mates, you know, every, every so often. Yeah. So there are benefits to it. And we've got to, we, you know, we're not decrying that at all. But it's important we don't lose that tangible connection with the real world as well. Yeah, of course. I used to cycle between my parents' houses, and it's about 10 miles. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, where I lived, the old railway lines have been converted into trails. So you could hop on a trail for five or six miles or so. Right. But I'd meet up with my mates, because they would be near-ish. 
Yeah. Like, oh, we'll go for a bike ride together. Yeah. And we would have, oh, we'll go play on the Xbox in the evenings and stuff like that. But on a weekend, we'd go and get properly dirty, yeah. covered in mud, and we'd have a real laugh about it. And you'd sit there with freezing feet and <laughs> not be able to button up things with your fingers and stuff like that. And yeah. you're caked in dirt. Brilliant. But it was... You you weren't upset about that. It's not like it's, it's if you walk into your car and you step in a puddle and you get splashed. It's quite annoying. But if you spent an afternoon getting absolutely covered in mud because it's fun, yeah, yeah. you don't care that it's cold and it's wet and it's dirty. You're like, yeah, yeah that was worth it for the, the smiles and the laughter and yeah, the, the yeah. memories that we're making. That's super. Um, and I kind of have to go back to my, my slight tangent into the toys and things that I grew up with. Well, they're important. Yeah, and I saw your cheeky grin when I mentioned it. Because you, you you saw what's coming. <laughs> so the the podcast itself, as a structural thing, has recently been sponsored. And the start of this episode will already have said this, so it's not a new surprise to anyone. But it's by Scalectrics. Yeah. Which is really cool. It I mentioned is. this to a couple of mates, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, fair play, that's a, quite a big name. And one of the, the, the things that we talked about when we were discussing how it was all going to happen was Scalectrics is quite... A connected thing to what I do, so it makes sense. Yeah. The trouble is, I mentioned this to you earlier, and you said you didn't really use scale electrics. Now there was a problem there because uh, <laughs> being a man that makes electric cars, yeah. I'm surprised. No, I would have loved to. Oh, um, it's it just that. Yeah, when, when I was growing up, we we just we didn't have any money. Right. Um, so a lot of the stuff I had was uh, you know secondhand toys and stuff. Like I had an action man who had no hands. Right. Okay. Because the hands always broke early, and then that someone would say, "Well, do you want that?" And yeah. My first TV set was one I had to mend. Learn so, the skill, though. Um, it, it was that kind of thing. And <clears throat> mates had scale electric, so I'd go over there and play it, and it was brilliant. Uh, but we never, um, we couldn't afford it. So um, my older brothers had a really, really old scale electric set, which is the one that had like a spring down the middle of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and there was a, a little contact on there, but it was, it was from the 60s, I think. And early was, days of it, it was pretty much an antique um and and they wouldn't let me play with it because it was like theirs so um i always wanted a scale electric set but never had one and it's one of those things that's lovely because although it, i found it slightly frustrating because i didn't have a steering wheel right yeah so the whole thing throttle, about that grip getting the right amount of grip around the corners yeah, and yeah. judging it there's a hell of a lot of skill to that <laughs> And as the thing warms up and the tyres get a little bit warm, you know, you can go a little bit faster. And it, that was just a wonderful connection to the... And I always wished that I had one, but I, I never did. It's almost like learning throttle control, isn't it? It is exactly that. It is yeah. learning... Because um, I, I was somewhat fortunate that they were more affordable by the time I was a kid. Yeah. So me and my brothers had, had one. And we would set it up, like, to go up the stairs. Oh, God. Wow. So we're going to add... A, after about an hour, you kind of go, right, we've done this loop. How can we make this more exciting? Yeah. So we'd make it go up the stairs and we'd have like a cushion at the top. So if it did launch right. quite substantially, it would at least hit something yeah, soft. Because yeah. the cars themselves, they were not cheap to replace. Yeah. And there's always the fear that you've broken something that's been bought for you. And that was always quite exciting. And I'm the oldest. I'm at the other end of this scenario. And me and my middle brother would always try and not let the youngest one have a go because he couldn't do the control thing. So he'd right. just launch it into the wall. Yeah. And like, you're ruining the fun of this because we, we get a lap and then one of us has to walk off and pick up the car that you've launched across the room and then we get another lap and he's launched it across the room again. So we were the opposite sides of this coin where 
I'd be like, no, no, you, you go and play with the cars that aren't on a track and we'll play with the ones that are because we actually get a go at it for once. Yeah. Um, but it's, it was one of those fun entry into the automotive world, I think, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was uh, making things move. It's making things move. And that again, you're, you're talking about that connection with the real world. It's real world grip. Yeah. That you're dealing with there. And if you burnt out the motor, it would stink. <laughs> and you'd, you'd be like, yeah. I think I've overcooked this one. <laughs> like, yeah. You have to learn how to get the contacts to be clean. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd have of, no power. A bit of car maintenance there. So, yeah. yeah it's, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's setting you up for life, really. I, I think I was always kind of destined to be into cars. I don't think I had much choice about it. My dad had a 205 GTI when I was a kid. Well, I think cars are one of those curious things. And I think... Motorbikes, possibly even more so, um, because they've meant so many different things to people over the years. And it, that's one of the things that's changing now. So I learned to drive in the 80s, and the first car that I bought was Spares or Repairs, mm-hmm. uh, which is a tradition I've carried on till now. And, it's uh, just now a boss. <laughs> yeah, uh, basically. And... Um, you know, the engine was in four cardboard boxes in the boot because someone had had a go at rebuilding it and got it horribly wrong. So I, I right. bought it for 50 quid, and that was my... It was a Mark 1 Cavalier, the oh, Opel nice. Manta-shaped things. Mm. And um, bought a hinge manual, learned how to build engines. And um, and, and that's uh, sort of how I got started on that. But back then, I grew, grew up in Devon, so I'm, I'm a Devon lad. And You've not got the accent. Um well, if I did, you wouldn't understand what I was talking about. No, that's so, true. Um, My grandparents live in Cornwall. Oh, yeah. But they're Geordies. Okay. It's very strange seeing them that's, interact with people down there. Yeah, that's going to be challenging. Mm. Um, but the only way I could see my mates is if I physically went there. You know, I grew up in Exmouth. Most of my friends were in Exeter, which is 12 miles away. Um, it's not really a morning walk, though, is it? It's, yeah, I mean, uh, it is, you can walk it, but it's, it's lost a day's day at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, Although I remember Nigel, he, he walked backwards and forwards a few times, but he's quite special. Um, and uh, so cars were a way of you being able to see your mates. They were, at that time, freedom. Yeah. Um, there are also this self-expression. You buy a cheap car and then you can paint it however you want and make the interior however you want and do the stereo and wheels and tyres and it becomes an extension of your own personality. Absolutely. So I'm- it's a really personal thing as well. And and it's, it's a place to be. It's your safe space, you know, away from home, particularly when you're, you're quite young. It's it's mm. it's so it's so important to your whole life at so many different levels, and that's changed now, especially as a lot of people just lease cars, so it's not even their own car. Yeah, yeah. So I that, saw a Twitter thing on the new electric Corsa. Oh yeah, and it was, I think you end up thirty. You give Vauxhall thirty grand right over this lease deal. And you never actually own any of the car. What's the, that's just horrific. like you're basically just paying thirty grand's worth of interest almost. That's just I, awful. I can't remember the specifics of how it was broken down, but like the RRP of the car was say thirty-two grand. Yeah. And you put say four grand down, and you pay three hundred pounds yeah. a month for six years or whatever. But the way that all the numbers worked is that by the end of it, when you give that car back, you're at a, a zero sum. So you, you don't owe them anything, but you don't get anything out of the car. That's ridiculous. So you effectively spend 30 grand to borrow a Corsa for five years or however long the lease deal was. And if you do anything to it... Then, yeah, they'll take it off you. This is just awful. Because BMW did it to that guy 
He had a, like an F83 M3, whatever the model number is. I kind yeah. of forgot after the E92. And he quite openly was modifying it. Yeah. And BMW found out and took the car off him. That's awful. Yeah. I mean, he shouldn't have done it because he had it on a lease, but... Yeah, but they found out and they were like, well... Well, this is it. I mean, my, my Volvo 850, that cost me 650 quid three years ago. Uh, we've done family holidays in it. It's been all over the country. Uh, I've done business trips in it. It's broken down a couple of times, but that's part of the adventure. I own that. Yeah. And in fact, at the end of the day, I need to get 600 quid. I will sell it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I can do whatever I like with it. And this whole lease thing is like, yeah, in the future, you will own nothing and you will be happy. It's, I think it'll be on a subscription. That. Yeah. It's getting away from leasing now. They're going, you, you pay Tesla 500 quid a month and you just pick up a car at the end of the day or whatever it is. And that means you get a service. Yeah. Uh, and for a lot of people, this is important, right? So they've got something reliable, they know what it is, it's paid for, it gets them from A to B, and that's really, really important. So for a lot of people, that is good. But for that to be the only option, I mm. think, is terrifying. And I think we, we've got to respect that, you know, you should be able to own your own stuff and do what you want with it. Yeah. You know, if you want to sponge paint dinosaurs on the side of it, you should be allowed to do that. Which, again, my mate Nigel did that on his Manta. Um, Nigel sounds like an interesting guy. <laughs> he's, a, he's a cool bloke. Um, and, uh, you know, you should be able to express yourself with the stuff that you own. Yeah. You know, whether it's your clothes, your house, your car, whatever it is. Uh, and that's really, really important. Uh, custom cars are very, very important. Yeah, I agree. As someone who drives a modified car mm. and who owns an old Renault, like being able to tinker is a hugely important part of what I do. I think it tinkering is a, is a much uh, underestimated skill um, and more people should do it. Mm. Uh, and what, one of the things I say to um, uh, parents and the stuff that I interact with is, you know, how do you get your, your kids involved with practical skills? And they said, well, it's difficult, isn't it? I said, no. I said, do you ever have broken things at home? <laughs> yeah. Well, give it to your kids to play with. They'll take them apart. You know, if, if they're reasonably safe, then give them a screwdriver. Let them take things apart, see how they worked. Might even put it back together again, you never know. Yeah. But at least they'll discover stuff, even if it's only how to operate a screwdriver. Yeah. Um, and we really need to encourage that, that tinkering ethos. And once you've got some basic skills, you can scale that up. And for things like basic car maintenance, if you can do that, then it means you can buy a 650 quid Volvo. And I've hardly had to fix many things on it. Um, a couple of bits and pieces. It's probably cost me about what 100, 110 quid in bits. Yeah, yeah. In three years of motoring, um, I, you know, I've got other NAF cars as well. I've got a. My um, car cost me more than I've, that. <laughs> I've got a, a Nissan Leaf that I bought for three grand. Oh yeah. So a three grand electric car. What's your range like on that? Because they Awful. seem to tail off quite quickly, don't Nissan they? Nissan Leafs are probably the, the the early ones are probably the worst ones because they were only about eighty miles range when they were new. Yeah. Um, so mine does about fifty at a push. That's quite good going because then they get a lot worse in the winter. Oh yeah, it's terrible. I, I generally refill it every thirty miles, <laughs> but I use this for commuting. Yeah, I'm gonna say if you live ten miles away, yeah, not it's a problem. Fine. Yeah. It's absolutely fine. And again, I can maintain... And the, the weird thing is the maintenance on an electric vehicle is nothing. Mm. We changed the rear brakes on it uh, a couple of months ago, looked at the part number, serial numbers. It was the original brake pads. It's 11 years old. 
<laughs> it's done 110,000 miles on its one original ten. rear brake pads because it uses regen braking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had to look at the front brake pads, original ones, don't need changing yet. Wow. <laughs> you should tell Guy Martin because he's after doing 100,000 miles on his pads on his van. So if he just gets an electric van, yeah, yeah. it's sorted. It's sorted. I mean, he can't go to Spain in one day like he likes to, but he yet. won't have to change but his brakes. Yeah. Um, so having these basic skills, which starts with that tinkering, with playing with stuff when you're a kid, that uh, develops into some basic mechanical skills. And then you, it opens up the whole possibility. And it means you're not tied into these lease schemes where you're paying hundreds with thousands of pounds of deposit. You mentioned that um, that uh, that car was £4,000 deposit? Something like that, yeah. You, you have to put about 10% down most days. I have never spent £4,000 on a car. <laughs> <laughs> the most expensive car I've ever bought was £3,500. Really? What yeah. was it? That Leaf? No, was it, that was, three grand? it was actually a V8 Discovery. Nice. That I kept for 14 years. That's fair play. You so, got your money's worth out of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot on petrol. But, you know, it was really good. It was towing my race car. It did a lot of off-roading. We did green laning trips. Uh, it was a brilliant, brilliant yeah, motor. Yeah. I nearly had a Defender as my first car. That would have been uncomfortable. Mm, and I was commuting into Derby City. Right. So we looked at it was an A Reg mm. Defender in you know the camo sand oh, colour. Yeah, yeah. Long wheelbase, yeah. full cab all the way back. Yeah. It was in a shed, like buried in a shed. Oh right. Stuff everywhere. Yeah. So we went to visit the guy, fortunately a local, and wandered up. Oh, yeah, you take a grand for it. Yeah, I might take a grand for it. Like one of those like in-the-pub garden kind of deals. Yeah. And then uh, 1988 Mini Mayfair came up for sale just Ooh. the next street along. Uh-huh. So I went and had a wander up. Yeah. In, went for a, not a test ride, went for a passenger ride because I wasn't yeah. insured. And I managed to get that for 850 quid. There you go. And I, at the time... A friend of my dad's has a toy distribution company that I did my work experience at. Oh, yeah. And I'd negotiated a deal with him where I could basically dumpster dive, but I'd do it before it went in the dumpster. So uh-huh. I'd go through all their spares and broken bits. Yeah. And we had a Mitsubishi Warrior. So we'd go over on a Saturday afternoon. Uh-huh. He'd open up the warehouse where all the broken stuff was, and we'd fill it all in the back of the truck, and I'd just fix whatever I could and bin whatever I couldn't. And he was saying, he was like, well, I spent a grand a month on a skip, so if you can reduce that bill, I'm happy. Yeah. So I just got all this stuff off him for free because I was basically just taking away his rubbish. And uh, I bought this Mini in, I think it was November. So Christmas was coming up. So I negotiated with the guy, 850 quid and whatever he wanted out of my garage full of toys. <laughs> and we were both happy. I got yeah. my first car for 850. I think it cost me 750 quid to insure it, which was good at that, like as an 18-year-old. And I learned more about cars from having that Mini yeah. than I have ever learned from anything since. That's because amazing, it would yeah. break endlessly. Yeah, yeah. Got to the point where the head gasket went and I couldn't afford to buy the replacement kit until payday, right. which is a week away. And my commute, I think, was 12 miles long. Okay. And the yeah. water in the radiator would last six miles. <laughs> and there was a pub halfway along. I think it was four or five miles into my commute right. that would let me use their outside tap. <laughs> So I'd have to go the back way to work, pull yeah. in at this pub, fill the radiator up, and then hope I didn't hit any traffic. Yeah. Because as soon as I stopped, it just... <laughs> and one of the managers at the accountancy firm I worked at was behind me in traffic once when that happened. And he was like, 
that was quite explosive, wasn't it? I was like, yeah, fortunately it's a front clamshell that had been made out of the front wings and the bonnet. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I could yeah, just rock it all thing, forward. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we were just sat in traffic one day and just <laughs> steam everywhere and me just pushing it onto the hard shoulder yeah. so that I could get the big five-litre bottle of water out of the boot and fill it back up again. That was the great thing about those old iron blocks is, though, you could, you could overheat them several times and they'd still be fine. Oh, yeah, it was... It, the thing that killed it was the electrics. I, um... Had a small fire <laughs> where the the light switch had shorted itself. Uh-huh. I think the wires had got a bit too close behind it, and it right. just set on fire. Yeah, at say like eleven o'clock at night on a country lane. Oh, it was brilliant. The few so it only had four fuses. That's right. Yeah, one of them was for the the main lights. Yeah, and then obviously one a different one for the side lights. Mm. So every so often the main light fuse would just go and then you've got no headlights at all nothing, nothing. but the fog lights were on the side light ah, circuit because yeah, when clever. he'd done the clamshell he'd put it on like caravan power plugs so that oh, you could yeah, take yeah. the whole thing yeah, off yeah, if you yeah, wanted yeah. to that was a common thing for races and stuff at yeah. The time. yeah um so he'd wired the f- the front lamps to the the thing is they would never fully tighten the bolts so on a big enough bump one of them would just drop <laughs> so you'd be going along the lights would go off you know, i'll put the fog lamps on and then you get a couple of minutes, and then one of them would just be pointing at the floor, oh, and one yeah. of them would be pointing at the sky. Yeah. So you were kind of able to see, but the speedo lights were on the main light beam, I think. So you'd, you wouldn't know how fast you were going. Uh-huh. And you couldn't see. Yeah. And everybody would be flashing at you. Yeah. I had several people stop me in traffic. Like, pull, o- pull in front of me and stop me. Right. Like, you've got no lights. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm in the car. I'm the one that can't see where I'm going. I'm doing my best. <laughs> like, I just need to get home. I've got a glove box full of glass fuses. What, what are the things you're going to say? Oh, yeah, oh, I yeah, I didn't notice. Yeah, like... But I got a lot of memories out of that. Yeah. I only had that car for 10 months before it got nicked. Oh, that's awful. Well, it did me a favour. It was um, somewhat unusable by the time it got stolen. Second right. gear... Completely smooth. You don't need second gear. First to third on hills was great fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And it had a straight-through exhaust, so you'd be... Uh-huh. Giving it all the beans Absolutely first, killing everybody. In, and then lugging slowly. Yeah. Almost yeah. stalling in third. Love it. Brilliant. And the, the exhaust had was at like a 45-degree angle out the back. Uh-huh. Yeah. And my, so it fills up with rainwater. It does that. It also sprays whatever's behind it yeah. with fuel. Uh-huh. And my then girlfriend at the time, her auntie had asked us to house sit for her, which when you're 18 is like, oh, oh yeah, got weekend in a house with my girlfriend. This is the best thing ever. Um, so I reverse parked on her drive, right up to the garage door. Oh right. Within two days, the door was just black. black. Yeah. yeah. So I then had to wipe all that down before she came home. Yeah. It's brilliant. I love that little car. I wouldn't have another one. See, that's left some lasting memories. Oh, them, absolutely, yeah. And experiences and skills. And skills. Well, it's why I got my Renault. I got my Renault for two reasons. Oh. One, it would have been 2019, maybe 2020. Yeah. Because I got it in February of 2021. There was some horrendous snowfall in Madrid, like they've never seen before. And This is a bit of a tangent. Oh, well, a video arose of a Dacia Duster stuck on a hill. Right. Just spinning the wheels. Okay. Well, and then a choice. Absolutely. Not expecting snow. Madrid's not known for the snow. Yeah. And then a Renault 4 just cruising past. Good tyre choice. Good tyre choice. Skinny tyres. Yeah, yeah. Someone who knows that. They drive a Renault 4. They've been in the snow before. Yeah. They've had that car for a while. 
absolutely cr- I was like you know I'd really like a little old classic again something fun and quirky yeah and then if it snows if I get something cheap enough I can just bum around in the snow mm. and enjoy the fact that I've got a cheap old wrench car so minis out of the question it's five grand for a usable they mini they have now. gone silly yeah. ridiculous yeah. value I think a friend of mine saw an Austin Mini go through an auction. The roof was like bubbling and you yeah. could see the weld patches and all that. Yeah. Like 17 grand because it's an Austin. That's stupid. Ridiculous. So I knew that was off the cards. So then I was like, right, Renault 5s, Peugeot 205s. Yeah, good choice. Citroen Saxo if I could find one. Uh-huh. And then the C2 is a bit too out of my price range. But I've had a C2 before. Good fun little car, that. Yeah. Unless you put big wolf race wide wheels on it and, <laughs> and then try and drive it in the snow, yeah. Right. I, I had to go to a client visit when I was an accountant and it snowed. I was like, oh, I'll be all right. I'm used to the countryside. It took me six attempts to make this turn into their premises because I'd turn and just go straight past. Yeah, Eventually, I'd just handbrake turn and just slid sideways until I got to the junction <laughs> and then could go straight. Um, yeah, so that's why I got this Renault. Is a, I've had a fondness for my little mini and being able to tinker on it and fix yeah, it yeah, and yeah. tear it apart yeah. and play around with everything. And I really wanted a small French hatchback to mess around in the snow in. It's not snowed since I got it. Well, there you go. I've clearly cursed myself. I think that was quite a lot. I, my, my son likes uh, sledging in the snow, and it snowed very heavily when we moved into this area. So I bought two sledges so that I had one for him and one for me. Obviously, yeah. It's not snowed since. Oh. The best sledge we ever had was an inflatable... It was almost like a triangle. Oh, yeah. And it had two handles on the top. Right. And you were face first. Oh, that's Amazing. not wise. Oh, you would pick up <laughs> speed. Like, so because it was inflatable, it had, like, rubber... Um, not tracks, but, like, two strips sort of, of rubber. Yeah. Yeah. And you would run and jump. And right. it's inflatable, so you, it's not hard. Yeah. And then you'd hold on face... Almost like a uh, skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And we got this in Switzerland when we uh-huh. went to visit some friends. And then we went skiing uh-huh. and we took it with us. So we took it down a couple of the... Where we were staying was at the end of a couple of the ski runs. So we really got some speed on that thing. And one of the ski runs was like almost like steps. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, really yeah. big tiered yeah, yeah, drops. Yeah. Which when you're skiing, you take quite casually. Yeah. My brother cleared me. I was stood on one level and he went right over the top of me <laughs> all the way to the next level. Because of how fearless he was and how fast he went on this little sledge. That is super. But yeah, I would recommend an inflatable triangle wedge and some snow. And some snow, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're near an indoor snowy thing here, aren't we? Uh, Yeah, there's a few things around it. It's not the same. No. It's not the same. I I used to be, um, one of the jobs I had was working for Ford troubleshooting uh, various projects. And I got to spend. quite some time living in um, South Germany. Oh, nice. In the Alps. Um, and Lake Constance, or the Bowden Zoos, we should call it, uh, working with a company called ZF. And it meant that every weekend I could just look out the window and think, oh, that's nice weather, I'll go skiing. Oh, and perfect. Just, it was about a 40-minute drive. Um, and uh, just go out there and play in the mountains. Uh, and that was just lovely. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And... Uh, I keep explaining this to my son, but he's, he's got no idea what I'm talking about. And also, because we live in uh, the flatlands of Cambridgeshire, um, you know, he thinks a slight rise in the countryside is a hill. Oh, no. Nice. And I'm from Devon. I said, like, like, 
let's go to Dartmoor or something like that. I'll yeah, show you yeah. what hills are. Um, so I think Derbyshire might be closer for you. It might, uh, and they've got better hills, to be fair. Um, but you know, when I, when I was a kid, you know, and it's snow, we'd all get old um, plastic sacks. We did the same, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, they were probably dangerous because you'd hit a rock you hadn't seen, and it'd really hurt. Well, there's nothing between you; you're just in a bag. Yeah. So it, it hits you at quite some speed. Yeah, yeah. Not like my inflatable wedge. Yeah. You've got a, a proper cushion between you. Yeah. I, I, so my my dad's friend who bought it for us is now a director at Amazon. So he was he was sent to Switzerland for work. Oh, yeah. And the company leased or rented an eight-bedroom house with a safe room and a basement and everything. And was, right. Looking back, my dad had a, a reasonably interesting friend. Uh-huh. I don't really know what he was doing at the time. I think he might have been working for Procter & Gamble. Right. Um, but that explains how he came across this ultra-sleek sledge. Yeah. And didn't just get us a plastic spade. <laughs> yeah, so I, I bought this inflatable sledge for you. Um, but yeah, we I think it was coal bags that we used to use. Or yeah, yeah, um, yeah. compost bags. Yeah. yeah. And we lived near a particularly steep hill, so it was quite good fun. Yeah. We had a fence at the bottom. So you had to really yeah, yeah, you had to time that quite well. Yeah, 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 that's good. Um, I, uh, I went to Finland recently. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, that's why I got got engaged under the Northern Lights. Oh, that is superb! I, I've, I've well set the bar too high for all my friends. They're not happy, <laughs> and I, I didn't really have to do much. My other half wanted to go and see the Northern Lights, so I just bought a ring and tagged along for the ride. And um, well played, sir. Well I, well I'm quite proud of myself. I'm yeah, very smug be. about it. Yeah, and I, I think it, that's quite reasonable. I tell everybody I meet. You should all the time. Definitely, it's my wallpaper is like my other half in the snow with the ring, so I get to go. Look this is because that. we got engaged yeah, in Finland. Yeah, yeah, super. Um, but there was a a playground near the river that had a really steep bank between the playground and the river. Mm-hmm. And there was about a metre of footpath at the yeah. bottom of the hill. Didn't stop anybody. Absolutely everybody was sledging that down this bank <laughs> and then just praying that there was enough to slow them down before they... The river's frozen, but I wouldn't want to test it. No, you, you don't want to check things like that. But no, no, not in minus 27. No, that, that will ruin your day. It'll ruin your trousers as well. Yeah, I would have thought so. But, yeah, um, yeah something to be said about sledging. Again, connected to the ground, especially connected in a sack. Connected to reality, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's not a dirty activity either. You don't really get... You get damp. You definitely get damp. But it's and not really dirty. It depends how many hedges you go through. Yeah, and how deep the snow is. Yes, and sometimes there's things under the snow that you weren't aware of <laughs> uh, until you hit that at quite some speed. Especially if you're in an area where people like to walk dogs. Yeah. And really... farms with yeah. Cows. deposits. <laughs> but they're happy days. <sighs> wow. I, I think we're probably rounding off the end of this chat. <laughs> Getting all nostalgic. Yeah. Um, with your various projects that you're doing at the minute. Yes. Obviously, you've got these buses that are your, your big thing. Yes, buses are the next big thing, literally. They're, they're quite big, <laughs> and they are coming yeah. every 10 minutes <laughs> in some places. Um, the project itself is moving in quite an interesting direction. Mm. How have you found that to be uh, impacting on things that you're up to? Is it somewhat taking over? Very much so. Um, it's, it's one of those things that I'd never expected to be doing. Yeah. Um, but it's something that's, it's, I think we're going to make something that's going to help people, mm. uh, as well as be a, a good 
um, business thing. Right, I think we should probably just wrap up there, really. Okay, okay. Rather than, uh, it's nine o'clock. I've not had any dinner yet. Well, that's an important consideration. It has been a superb discussion. I've really enjoyed this chat. Yeah. Thank you so yeah, it's much. It's been really, really good. If people are trying to find out what you do and what you're up to, mm. where should we send them? Well, bizarrely, the easiest thing you can do is Google my name. Oh, nice and easy then, yeah. Yeah, R-E-L-P-H-H-O-S-I-E-R. Um, that level of fame. I know, it's a bit weird. Well, that, that no, I've got an unusual Quite name. Quite a unique name, yeah. Um, even though hosier is an old English word for someone who makes socks. Oh, yeah. that makes sense. Which doesn't isn't quite as exciting as you what? like. Is that how the tangent to hosier ties exists? I believe it's a variant spelling, yeah. Oh, so it's yeah. been spelt with a Z, with a double O, and various other permutations. They're socks for your car. Yeah, <laughs> I like that, yeah. And I've got two racing hosier ties on the... You've got a third one down there. I have, actually, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a fourth one up there as well. A fourth but yes, it's, it's all good stuff. Lovely stuff, well, Thank you for sitting down and chatting and for offering me various mince pies throughout the evening. <laughs> There's a, a treasure trove of mince pies. Yes. Um, we're going to go and take a photo in a bus. Mm. And uh, thanks for listening. It's been Cheers, a great mate. chat. It's been superb. Thank you very much. So that was my chat with Ralph Hosier. Uh, absolute gent. And as I said in the end of that, Lots of mince pies were offered, and I don't mean to exaggerate, there were at least 30 around the table. Uh, But if you are a Patreon subscriber, you'll have seen some of the photos from said bus and a couple of the little gems that Ralph's got knocking around on the site. And all that's left to say really is thank you for having a listen and thank you to uh, Skeletrix for being the first sponsor of the podcast. So there we go. Great first podcast sponsor, I think.